Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Jordan, what's happening, man? How are you feeling? I'm good, Sam. How you doing? I'm, I'm in New York. I'm glad to be here. Work, working well, on a Saturday. Welcome back. Yeah, working on the weekends like usual. Yeah, it is, man. It <laughs> is. Um, so very excited for our guest today, man. Who we got? We got Drew DeLeon. He's VP of Digital Marketing at Alamo Records, co-founder and head of marketing at the Digilogue, and founder and head of marketing at Blank Label Records. Um, so today, if you if you guys haven't heard of Alamo Records at Comethazine, Lil Durk, and a whole bunch of artists in that sphere, they're very noticeable or very reputable in the music industry. So we're very glad that we got somebody from their team to come over and speak to us. Uh, so today we go into a lot of different things, primarily how to how to grow your fan base, uh, how to keep your fan base engaged. We do get into some of the details, like how to build an SMS uh, database, how to build an email database, and how you can use those to leverage your marketing. We get into DSPs, how to build the picture for DSPs in order for you to actually get placed on both user-generated playlists and Spotify editorial playlists. So uh, we get into a lot today and I'm really excited for the, for the people to hear it. You know, we're, we're very, we, we, we have a lot of things in common with Drew in terms of how we plan on serving the community of music creators and potential music businessmen. And you can definitely hear that alignment in this episode. What'd you think, Sam? Yeah, I thought it was great. I particularly liked when we got into some very tactical ways to turn followers into actual fans, um, how to be able to own the connection with them and reach them. Uh, we spoke about different ways in influencer marketing campaigns, how to run effective TikTok campaigns. We're speaking with him, if uh, how he goes about allocating marketing budgets. I think it's a, no one-size-fits-all approaches here, but definitely lots of very valuable tactics that I think you guys can walk away uh, from and deploy across any campaigns that you guys are looking to deploy. So without any further ado, Mr. Drew DeLeon. Drew, man, thanks for, thanks for virtually coming out. Appreciate it, man. Happy Saturday. Thanks to you, yeah, man. Uh, Sam, for having me. This is uh, super dope to be part of this. Of course, of course. Very glad to have you. Um, so I guess just for starters, like, you know, what is your, what is your uh, rags to riches story, so to speak, in the music industry? How did you, how did you join the music How did industry? Drew get the bag? Rags to riches. I love, I love the tie-in. Um, so for context, um, just to, to, for, for the audience, uh, for the day-to-day, um, I actually help lead digital marketing over at Alamo Records. So the reference to Rags and Riches is Rod Wave. Obviously, it was a big record we worked on. <laughs> um, and then I also have a music and tech education platform called the Digilog, um, helping connecting and educating the music community. So we'll dive into that in, in, later in the episode. But yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to just music, um, just kind of going into the, the music business, um, a lot of folks like myself have, you know, was it was never been like a conventional way to to go into it. It's not like my parents or any of my family members work in the music business at all. Um, you know, just for, for context, you know, Filipino immigrant family, uh, grew up in New York city in Queens. Um, you know, I think growing up, um, there was always aspirations to like be in the business, 
uh, you know, just being, just doing something in business. Uh, you know, f- for a lot of Filipino families, they, they either want you to be a nurse <laughs> or uh, some type of, uh, yeah, some, somewhat, some type of, you know, something in, in the medical field. Uh, for me, like, I've always been just a, a creative that, you know, when I was younger, I loved building things. I loved Legos. I loved mm-hmm. just, I was always inspired by art and just, I loved listening to music. I didn't necessarily think that was a career or anything. It's something that I was passionate about. So right. when I went to college, um, I went to Brew College here in Manhattan. And um, it was probably like one of my best experiences, even though like it was a commuter school, you know, a lot of the folks there was, you know, was very business oriented. So I went to Brew College and, you know, I studied, you know, initially I studied accounting. I was like, after that first semester, I was like, nope, not doing this. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, like how they, 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 they you know, it's like, yeah, you're Asian. You should, you should know math and numbers. And I'm just like, well, I'm not necessarily great at it. So, um, right. And then I immediately pivoted into marketing. Um, you know, like I said, during college, um, I had a lot of creative friends. Um, I was in the dance group and I was just doing a lot of things in sports. I was playing volleyball, but when it came to marketing, I loved my marketing classes. I remember, um, you know, I remember at the time we were, we, we had a marketing project. Um, one of the things was like trying to market uh, a product and then we came up with vitamin gum. <laughs> so, you know, vitamin, <laughs> vitamin water was 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 popping at the time you know 50 cent was co-signing it i don't know if you remember that time this right. is over circa circa yep. 2000 i drank um, a lot of vitamin water because of 50 five, cent. Six. <laughs> 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 yeah this is circa two, 2005 2006 so i just remember like that's our that was my tie-in and when it came mm-hmm. to like music i just remember complex was big at the time and just just for like the audience just like you know there wasn't necessarily a networking platform but we knew that um there was uh you know obviously myspace you know yeah. your, your top eight um definitely had a zanga uh and then this is when digital and just you know people were just kind of tapping into that but social media didn't necessarily kick off like facebook was about a year old mm-hmm. um so i wanted just to like kind of lay down the foundation like this is right. some of the things that were happening during that time um right but you know, in terms of internships, you know, like I was always like, my parents are like, well, we're not going to give you any money. So you better get a job. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, all right, respect, you know, I, I didn't <laughs> want any money from you guys. Um, so I've always, I was always, I've always been working since I was 15. And right. I think part of that was because, like I said, just trying to just do better. Like, you know, I come from a, you know, a middle, you know, class background. So I wanted to always just do better for my parents. And then you know, studying marketing, but there was an opportunity to work in finance. And at the time, like my, my, my guy who, my friend who got me the job was like, look, they're paying, you know, close to $20 an hour. I was like, say what? <laughs> College? <laughs> $20 an hour? Right. Count me in. <laughs> uh, so there, that's where I kind of sold my soul a little bit. Not to say that finance is bad or anything, but I was like, I'm a, you know, I'm gonna just take the job because at the time, like, I just wanted to, like, help support myself, but also help, you know, just pay for my, like, college, you know, bills and so forth. So that was, right. that was my entry into finance. So I got a job immediately after college, even though I studied marketing. I did the whole suit and tie. I had, I had long hair. I looked like, like, 
you know, um, what's that guy? <laughs> the Asian wolf from Wall Street. I looked like that guy. <laughs> and I looked at myself in the mirror. And I was like, this is not me. You know, after, you know, six months. And I think I was convincing myself, like, this is it. I was like, right. All right, I'm going I'm to have this trajectory into, into finance. But I've always surrounded myself around creative people. Like, you know, one of my good friends was a designer. A couple of my friends were aspiring DJs. So one of those aspiring DJs was also working in finance. And I don't know if you remember, this is like, so just to give you some, some context in terms of time frame, this is around 2009, 2010, when I think the DJs were like really, you know, transitioning from vinyls to like Serato. Um, right. I remember, I don't know if you've ever gone to parties or I remember trying to go into like uh, my, my friend's parties and I, I was never of age, but the only way I could get in was by carrying their crates into, into the right. clubs. So I remember carrying those 20, you know, I'm not saying 20 crates, but like 10 crates, like up the stairs. I was like, hey, whatever I, you need me to do to get into this party, I'll do it. And um, I love that transition to Serato. So this is, a, this is an important point because this is a time where I was about two, three years into my finance job. And my friend at the time was an aspiring DJ. He was always looking to me for like business advice. He's like, mm -hmm. how do I position myself into like getting gigs at these, at these clubs? You know, I'm working obviously a, a not, you know, a seven to seven job. It's like crazy hours, 60 hours a week. But, you know, in order just to like cope with that, I would go out with my friends who were part of this, like, you know, entertainment lifestyle. And I was like, this is really interesting. Like, um, you know, I was able to build relationships with a lot of like the, the promoters, some of the owners mm. at those venues. And then eventually I just connected the dots. I was like, hey, you should check out my friend. He's a DJ. He's really dope. He, had an, he has an incredible library of music. Do you think um, it would be okay for him to open up for one of your bigger DJs and just kind of do like a 30-minute set? And it started with that. It was just like, you know, that was kind of my entry into like the music business where it wasn't like um, I wanted to just be a, become a manager that day. It was more so just helping my friends out that I that I wanted to support. So, right. Right. so this this is around two thousand nine, and this is a time when the economy was just about to just like just tank. It was it was it was a crazy time in finance. I remember working like sixty seven hours a week. I was like, this is not it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't, I can't do this. Um, and my heart was somewhere else. I didn't know where it, where it was supposed to go, but I knew that I needed to do something else that I wanted to wake up inspired every day. So, uh, 2009, I remember March, I told my, my, my manager, I'm like, I'm going to take an extended vacation. So what that means is I'm leaving. <laughs> so, and right. it, it wasn't easy. You know, I didn't necessarily have a plan B. Um, I traveled to like, to California just to get out of the city because you can only imagine you're like working so much and like your mind is not clear. So I needed just to reset. So when I was in California for two weeks, I came back and, you know, just worked various odd jobs. But during that time I was helping my friend get gigs and I was like right. just helping him out. And eventually 2010, that's when I first started my management company called Blank Label. And, mm -hmm. um, and was, it was, he, was he your first client? He was my first client. Yeah. And, that was that was my first role in the music business as a music manager because I wanted to legitimize ourselves because I couldn't like I was like I'm not emailing these people using my Gmail. Yeah, I also want to take a moment here to just um, you know a good amount of people come to me and they're sort of like well how do I get started in the music industry which I think is a valid question but I think the easiest way to get started is support people that you love and support people that you like listening to 
like reach out just you know if the people if the people in your area especially if they're local just reach out and see if they need help that's that's like the best that's the best experiment you know reach not just to people that you're really passionate about and saying look you know we can and 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 it seems like in your situation that you didn't really you weren't it wasn't like you were getting paid right off the bat you were just trying to help somebody out right definitely not <laughs> uh, <laughs> right um, you know, for us, it's like, you know, at the beginning, it was like, fake it till you make it. So I was like, all right, we're this company, we're this management company, I'm the CEO. Like, so I wanted to make people feel like this is like, a, I had a roster. So I was like building this up because yeah. I didn't want them to think like I was a Joe Schmo managing this, my friend. Like this, you know, I want to make sure it was official. So we started Blank Label. I was literally just like, I was like, Blank Label, what does that mean? And, and I was like, oh, you know, Blank, I wanted to be able to like build these artists from scratch, like a, like a, like a canvas like really right, kind of right. nothing. So started that booking gigs and eventually I started meeting um, recording artists. So I was like in the studio, I was like watching their process, like from, you know, creating melodies and, and then also working with producers to, to like really just, you know, working with producers to like really just create those, those finished tracks. And I think eventually um, what happened after that, I was like, man, there, there's something about music that, that mm-hmm. motivates me and keeps me motivated every day. So I wanted to pursue that and further. And then given my marketing background, like, and this is around 2010, 2011, Facebook was about five years old. Um, Twitter was relatively new. Um, MySpace was transitioning out and I was figuring out different creative ways to like help market our artists online. You know, Facebook had Facebook groups, you know, started mm-hmm. to work, you know, creating fan groups for those. And, you know, Instagram wasn't even there yet. Um, and just try, try to find ways to like, you know, build, build their audience, what they totally. call digital media. Yeah, yeah. So now, I mean, flat, fast forward till today, and obviously there's been tons of evolution and it never stops as far as like where consumer attention is when it comes to building right. audiences. But like with a lot of the artists you're developing and promoting at Alamo, like when you think about uh, currently in the kind of current digital landscape, what are the most important things to focus on when building a fan base? Yeah, I think it's there's a couple of things. So when I look at digital marketing, it's um, one understanding who your audience is, two knowing where there's where those audience where your audience lives, and three figuring out how to convert those followers on those platforms to actually fans. And it's all it's, I look at like artists, and you know, for most artists, their first platforms that they're probably most active on is Instagram. Right. So Instagram is probably a top platform. Um, another platform is YouTube, given that a lot of the video content is usually a, a first point of discovery for a lot of, you know, especially hip hop artists. It's where people go to to just browse YouTube. I like to say the YouTube hole. It's like you just go in and just watch music videos all day. Yeah. And um, I think it's really understanding where, you know, where's that point of discovery for, for artists and um, I think for a lot of hip hop artists, it's it's normally YouTube when it comes to music, um, because you know a lot of their their a lot of the audiences, especially the that's discovering the artists, they're looking for free platforms, right? So they'll essentially just watch music videos. And eventually, you have this next tier of, of audience that that lives on the Apple premium services, the the Spotify's of the world. So it's creating those like different tiers of and levels of discovery where, all right, we're going to drive people to YouTube and eventually lead them into a funnel towards these other DSPs. Um, but we have to create that initial point of discovery. Um, when it comes to the social side, um, 
you know, like I said, Instagram is usually a top platform for some artists. It might be TikTok or Twitter, but it's letting them know like, Hey, if you're going to be using this, you might as well be as consistent as possible. It's not like you always, you're only going to post when you're in cycle or promoting your project. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you know, when it comes to just like artist relevancy, it's like, Hey, uh, Sam, like you were posting a lot of content last week, but, uh, I got busy this week. So I forgot about this. I forgot right, about you right, for a moment. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. so I was looking at marketing and just relevancy is 360. It's, um, 365. Um, you never approach, you know, the way that you roll out your music and your content within like a four week or six week window. It's, it's it has to be evergreen. You just got to keep going. And then yeah, you yeah. build, you build, and especially now, given the, the circumstances, um, you know, people are going to, the more they see it, like they may not engage at that first or second moment, but the fact mm. they're seeing it so often, they're like, let me check this person, let me check Sam out. He keeps yeah, yeah, for sure. posting this content. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> And totally. it's being consistent, you know? thousand percent. No, for sure. And I think we share a similar perspective too. It's like, if you are getting ready to release music, uh, a large amount of the success of that release is dependent on the foundation you build leading into it. So we're thinking and kind of deploying that same approach you mentioned of having this always on focusing on engaging, not only mm -hmm. looking to engage with your audience when you want them to, to consume your music or do something for you, but rather try and create value for them. One thing that stood out in what you said too, was kind of helping convert, followers across social platforms into actual fans can you talk about like some specific ways you think about doing that because i i do think there's there's so much value to super fans or fans that mm -hmm. are ambassadors i know building momentum across social platforms is valuable but it's always going to be hard to top word of mouth marketing so to the extent you can really build like mm -hmm. true fans like that is right. the most valuable asset so when you think about can, like turning followers into fans um, are there other things beyond just kind of like the consistent engagement that you focus on? Yeah, 100%. So, um, one, you know, obviously this is an old marketing tool, but direct marketing, right? So when it comes to just email subscribers, um, if there's some type of call to action, you know, so let's say, you know, Sam, you're putting out a project, you know, next week and you want to do like an early preview this week. Um, let's tap into your 15,000 followers and see, who that 20, 30% actually wants to subscribe to this email to actually listen to like snippets from, from the project. Mm -hmm. So, all right, cool. Like we know that, that, um, out of your 15,000 followers on Instagram, these 20% of, of those folks actually engaged enough to like tap in. And now we have their data to actually say like, Hey, when we, when we roll out that things that are exclusive or things that we want to, um, kind of like super serve, for, for this core base, like we know that we have access to that. And that's the way I look at it. Um, you know, trying to like find out who those folks are and figure out like, what are those um, behaviors and why they're doing these things. And, you know, yeah. they, they see that, Hey, I, I want to listen to like that next record from Sam and I want to see, I want to hear that snippet. So I'm going to take the extra step to actually subscribe. And then this, this is where the true marketing comes in where every other week it's like, all right, cool appreciate y'all. Um, you know, you know, the Sam, let's just call Sam's club, you know, like this is, the, this is, go. this is, there we go. This, this is, uh, this is the, best uh, deals is, in the market, <laughs> the best deals in the market. Um, and you're just essentially recognizing them for their loyalty to you and right. you're, you're giving them like deals, like 
you know, you're offering like, you know, exclusive, you know, content, you're, you know, just, and that's, that's how you, 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 you nurture that, you know, yeah. you, you're able to do that. Um, and I think that's super important. Um, it doesn't happen for every artist. It, it, there's a, you definitely need a team to like execute these things because it's mm -hmm. a lot of management, but, yeah. um, that's something that I've done in the past for like some of our bigger artists. Uh, when I was working at Def Jam, you know, we did a lot of that for Alessia Cara, who's, um, who's a big pop artist. Um, yeah, we built her fan base from like, when I first met her, it was like, um, I remember it was like only 15,000 subscribers. And then we tripled that, uh, yes. just creating, just creating incentives for them to join. Um, yeah. um, and I think that's, that's what you have to do. Like what is the value proposition or buy-in? For sure. And I think it's, that's so valuable and so often overlooked, especially too, given that you don't control and have direct access to your audience on these social platforms. I mean, I know like two years ago, like Facebook really throttled and pulled back on like how much a, a business page, how much reach they would get to their fans. I mean, like Instagram, people are always like complaining, like reach is going down, but um, and even like TikTok, like I personally think TikTok's not going anywhere, but like mm -hmm. if you build this audience, you don't want to be at the mercy of these platforms. Email is not going anywhere. So you want to make sure you actually can reach them there. What do you think about SMS based marketing? I know that's be become a, a, a very hot thing too. Do you feel like that's, um, I mean, from our perspective, it's, it's cool because it's in the early mm -hmm. days of like email, it was like open rates, uh, were through the roof. And the next thing right. you know, uh, everybody's doing email marketing and now mm -hmm. Gmail has to create a promotions tab just to get that out of your inbox. Uh, I feel like yeah. we're in like an early SMS stage where there is a really unique opportunity of these absurd open rates. Have you seen success in SMS? Is this something you've been yeah. testing? Yeah, definitely. There, there's a platform called Community, um, mm -hmm. you know, which, you know, kind of offers that. Essentially, you get your own number. Um, not to say that it's, I think it's still going through a beta program, but there are other platforms that do SMS marketing, but essentially to your point, yeah, I mean, everyone's on their phone, it's mobile. So you're collecting all that data and essentially creating um, a messaging tool where like you could essentially just message people within that group, um, updates as if they have that personal conversation with you. And you can essentially as if you're DMing these, your fans. Um, and I think that's super, um, that's super important. But I think mm -hmm. it goes down to, like I said, the consistency of the artists, because usually they'll do this around like an art, like an album release. But mm -hmm. like, how often are you like really engaging with your fans? And I think it's super important to recognize like within like the artist bandwidth when it comes to just kind of just what they're doing is out of all these platforms, what is connecting the most and how do we optimize your time? So you're not spreading yourself thin. Mm -hmm. Um, if it's SMS, let's do that. Let's choose three things that you're going to do and make sure you're just consistent with it. And we'll support you with everything else. Um, and I think it's important to recognize that from artists because they're like, oh, wait, there's another platform. <laughs> um, and it's, it's giving those, it's managing those expectations because, you know, for them, they're, they're more so focused on music and just kind of living their life, you know? Yeah, for sure. Thousand percent. So when it comes to, I mean, just the ebb and flow of different platforms, like, what do you, do you think, where's your head at regarding TikTok right now? Do you think it's going away or do you think no. it's still a very important area of focus for artists? Super important focus. I mean, um, the way I look at TikTok is the way that I, I view MySpace 10 years ago, but mm -hmm. it's, it's different because, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a direct, you know, 
correlation, but there's also a real community. And I think mm-hmm. that's, that's the, the biggest value proposition with them where obviously they have this, you know, very unique algorithm, but there's this unique community that um, you can't necessarily replicate. Um, and that's grown over the years. And, you know, when it comes to music sharing and just music content, you know, there's, there's a, that's the point of discovery for like that young demo. Um, you know, sometimes like, let's say TikTok trends don't necessarily translate to like consumptions on consumption on DSPs, but mm. more often than not, if you're an unknown artist, you know, that, that young demo, whether it's like that 10 to like 18 or 18 to 24, like they're essentially like go on Spotify or Apple to find out who, what's the rest of this song. Yeah. And, you know, and then because of there's, there's consistent content, you're hearing the snippet all the time. Right. And, and then you'll, you'll know that verse. Um, and, you know, that was the case even with like, you know, Rod Wave where, you know, we had a record rags of riches and, you know, we saw that it was trending, but like anything, like you have to like also amplify that and grow that. Um, you know, it started, at, I think around 50,000 videos, but now it's over 10 million videos because of the things that we did to support it. Um, what are yeah, some of so, those things if you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's, this is not a confidential information is, you know, yeah. understanding that, um, you know, why these people are creating this content. Um, cause I feel like a lot of, uh, it's easy to just to like put money into like, a, like a, a top creator, like a Dixie D'Amelio or Charlie D'Amelio. Mm-hmm. But we have to understand that you have to kind of build out foundation with smaller creators first, because you need to be able to have them be the foundation to like really build this up. Cause if it's mm-hmm. so top heavy, it's like, all right, cool. This feels like a paid promo. Um, right you know, TikTokers, they know the difference, yeah. you know, they yeah, want to, yeah. they, they want to like say like, yeah, I actually discovered this song. Yeah. Right, right, like, right, right. you know, so I think what, these are just best practices that I've learned not to mm-hmm. say this is, this works for every artist, but I like to tap into like the smaller creators first and really build with them and making sure it feels organic. Cause when you look at the TikTok feed, it feels like, all right, cool. This, there was actually a natural progression. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like how many videos are being created versus like you're going straight to the top and it's just like, yeah, it's, it's just top creators from, from top to bottom, you know? Right. It doesn't right, feel right. authentic. For sure. In that vein, I mean, do you feel like, um, I mean, TikTok influencer marketing campaigns are super popular right now as the mechanism mm-hmm. of like promoting music. Um, like, do you think that's for good reason? I mean, you feel like that's a, a very, like, I guess the bigger question too is if you had 50K to promote an upcoming single that's leading into an album, how would you allocate that, that 50K? I mean, what various channels, maybe TikTok influencer marketing is one of them, maybe Facebook, Instagram ads, uh, maybe take 10K shoot a music video, but like, how are you kind of an ideal scenario? We don't have to deal with pushback from any artist team. How would you go about allocating that? (laughs) I mean, I I think it's case by case. Um, So, if you're an emerging artist, um, like if you there, you know, obviously, the way I look at it is, like I said, I was saying before, like we're working with a lot of hip hop artists, so I want to be able to build their content programming on YouTube. So, let's say a lot of music videos. Okay, so what else can we do to support these BTS content? Like it's really just being able to like build 
um, a stream of content and a point of discovery for these artists. So I like to tend to like really go towards YouTube just because a lot of hip hop and music, especially for our artists, is um, discovered there. Because um, when you think about the, the DSPs like Apple and Spotify, those tend to be like the second points of discovery for, for like these, these next level of fans. And, you know, for developing artists, like I really like to push content um, consistently. And I think that happened with Rod where like he was always putting out music videos and, you know, now he's, you know, one of the biggest YouTube artists. So, um, and I love that because you can, we, we have free reign to just put as much content out as, as much as we can. Um, then going back to my point before where understanding, you know, where your audience lives for a lot of artists, like I said, it, most of those fans, those followers live on Instagram. So how do we convert those, um, those followers to fans? So like I said, content, um, figuring out ways where like, all right, if there's like some type of digital activation where they're engaging with the artists, um, like for example, this past week, we did like a digital scavenger hunt um, for one of our emerging artists in their hometown. And then we also did an NBA 2K21 tournament. Um, I remember we also did like a, a back to school drive yesterday with the artists and creating opportunities where like you're just engaging with fans versus just running influencer campaigns is super key because it's like, if you're not talking to them or engaging and having them comment, what's the point of them following you? You know, you know, they want to be able to feel like they're, they're connected with you. Yes. We'll run influencer campaigns in some capacity, uh, but we'll test it out first. Like we're not putting like all this money into like a TikTok campaign. We'll, we'll test it out. Like, you know, have you have a couple of creators create different versions of like what they think is the best content for that song. And then the thing that raises his hand, you know, we'll put some more feel to it, but it's a building block. Like you can't put that timetable where like that record's about to like blow to the right. timetable that you have for your rollout. Like this right. has to happen today or this week. And you know, some songs of, you know, when it comes to TikTok, you know, it could be a catalog song of an artist that's, that you released like 10 years, you know, four or five years ago. So you just kind of have to let it live in the, in the ecosystem a little bit and create a point of discovery. Yes, you're promoting it, um, but also like understand that it's not going to happen within your rollout period. So you mentioned briefly um, DSPs for a lot of people are, are, are the fan second point of contact. Um, and I think that's really interesting because that's something that we haven't really dived too deep into into the podcast. And I think a lot of people think that, uh, you know, it's the biggest piece of the puzzle. Um, but here you, you know, you pointed towards YouTube as something, obviously um, Instagram plays a big role in kind of building this story from an artist um, and portraying that story to their fans. So I guess, um, how critical do you think that DSB support is? Um, and what, I guess, can you expand a little bit more on where, like which link in the chain DSB is um, in your own marketing campaigns? Yeah, I mean, I think the way I look at it when it comes to like Spotify's, Apple's, Audiomax is finding those early champions, especially with editors. And, you know, it's not necessarily getting those marquee playlists and placements, but saying like, you know, uh, Jordan, you know, mm. he's this dope artist from Brooklyn. He has this amazing story. Um, we're not saying like, we need to place you on Rap Caviar tomorrow. But, right. but we want to give you context as to like, you know, the music that he puts he puts out, he has such a, a crazy flow, but here's some like early, here's some music to like, just kind of give you some context. And, you know, it's, it's a relationship based business. So if 
mm-hmm. that editor rocks with you, you might be on an early playlist. Um, but it's building that narrative early, finding those early champions when it comes to like the Spotify's, the Apple's, the Audio Max. And then once you gain traction, you know, you've laid the groundwork um, because they already know who the artist is. Right. So it's kind of like building that larger picture. So by the time you go to those DSPs, you can point back to other things other than this artist's music is good. There's kind of like an illustrated story there. Yeah. And I think it's important to like update them with all the small wins that the artist is achieving. Like, oh, wait, like this artist got this press release and, and also like updating them with like a timeline of what's to come. Right. Because the more you're, 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 you give them a scope of the, the playing field, then they'll, the, they'll understand like, okay, where the artist is going. And like I said, it's a value exchange because, you know, from a DSP plan, uh, standpoint, it's like them positioning your artist has to make sense for, for their bottom line, right? Right. So, right. so the, the more you say like, oh, we're going to invest in this artist this way and this doing this, they'll have better, le- better, better um, ammunition to like, uh, um, to like really support like where the artist is going on, right. on the playlist. So it seems like more and more also, um, just in general, we kind of we spoke to this in terms of influencers on TikTok and Instagram, but there's also influencers on DSPs where these user-generated playlists will have millions and millions of followers. I'm guilty of listening to the lo-fi coder playlist. Um, <laughs> so, you know, playlists that are made by humans, curated by humans and not necessarily Spotify mm-hmm. themselves. Um, right. how do you guys put that into your strategy and, and how deep is it into your strategy right now? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you kind of capitalize on those? What engagement, mm-hmm. if you guys do use those, have you seen on those user generated playlists and kind of how are they, how, how are they, um, a part of the larger Spotify DSP ecosystem or, you know, Apple music DS, uh, DSP ecosystem? Yeah, I, I think the UGC playlist, um, I think they really started on YouTube mm-hmm. uh, with the multi-channel networks, right? Right. So the Rap Nations, the Show Nations, right. like all, all, all those channels um, essentially were curators of, of music discovery. Right. So we, we, work, we work closely with like Escape Tracks, which is like known for the R&B playlists. Um, and then we also submit music to like multi-channel networks um, because, you know, we want to make sure that there's a point of discovery for those channels because they have also hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Right. Um, so it's creating that UGC um, content, what we call on, on, um, on, on YouTube. And then when it comes to just like the uh, user generated playlist, I think for us it's identifying who those editors are. Mm-hmm. Like I said, escape tracks is a, is a platform on the R&B side that we work closely with and just building that relationship as like we're pitching to like editors on Spotify. Um, right. Hey, here's right. a record that's coming out. Here's some knowledge. Let me know what you think. Um, but more often than not, you know, they also pick up the music themselves. They'll see that um, it's a record that they like. But you know, it's it's a relationship based business. So I think it's identifying who those folks are and making sure you're just constantly just you know be, being consistent with with information on the artist. Right. That's awesome. And you know, I um at the management company that I worked for, we made, uh, or we didn't make, we asked a lot of our artists to make playlists themselves. Um, that was along the same lines. User generated, obviously we stuck some of their own music in there, but it was just to get in, it was just to get our fan bases, um, integrated into the artist's mind and their influences. Um, I haven't 
done that in a little bit, but I'm just wondering if you guys use that as a tactic. Um, and mm -hmm. if so, how, how important is that to the general marketing strategy? I think that's super important. I mean, um, I remember working on, uh, when I was at Def Jam, I worked with this artist named Danny Lay. And at the time we, we created a dance with Danny playlist. She's a dancer. Uh, we create, it was an open ended playlist where like she would engage with fans and like, like, you know, what song should I, should I add to this playlist? And it was a cool social thing where like we tied in the spot, the playlist to, to like her socials and we were able to grow it to like close to like, you know, 16,000 followers um, before I left. But, um, you know, I think it's one of those things where it's, if you want it, it's something that you have to execute consistently. Um, and it has to be part of your, you know, the artist strategy as a whole. Um, it's not something that, Hey, we're just going to just do, uh, when the when the album comes out, right? You know, we, we it's something that it's like, hey, we're, if we're gonna start, we're gonna build this playlist. Let's consistently like have this as part of our like, you know, overall marketing, um, and say like, hey, every Friday I'm gonna be updating my dance with Danny playlist. Submit, drop your favorite artist, you know, uh, right. on, in the in the comments, something like that. Like these are easy things that artists can do. But it's, it's like I said, consistency. And going back to my point with Sam is, is figuring out what are the things that artists need to focus on because they're so overwhelmed. And if you give them like at least three or four tasks that could really just do consistently, that's, that's the name of the game. You know, have them just do that. Everything else is, is just extra. Yeah, totally. So... One other thing that I think we really want to dive into too is I think you've done a lot of impressive work with the Digilog. Can you talk a little bit about what uh, kind of the mission behind it when you started it and then also how you've really been able to adapt during COVID? Yeah, I appreciate that. So Digilog, um, for context for the audience, um, starts, you know, stands for Digital Dialogue. I started with my co-founder, Mevis Jackson, in 2016. I was part of a, um, a co-working community uh, for this website platform called Wix. They had a co-working space. So if you had a website, you could work out of there. So lucky enough, we were like, the, I was a music guy <laughs> um, that had a music website. Uh, literally built my website that day I discovered that this was, uh, was happening. I was like, submit. Let's hopefully I can get, get to work here. So for context, I learned a lot about um, just community gatherings and why that was super important, working out of that space. And I was asking myself, as someone that's working in music, you know, this is around 2016, I was about six years in. Why can't I find like safe spaces? Because when we go to like a music event, I don't know if you've ever been to a music event, you get a free drink, you get, you know, there's music blasting, um, you find your friends and that's where you stay the entire night. <laughs> you talk to your friends and we wanted to find safe spaces where how do we find these creatives who one, you know, are deep into their creative process in the studio, don't necessarily have the soft skills to like really engage with folks because like I said, this is a music business, you gotta network and teach them ways where like they can feel comfortable to talk to like right. their, their, their community, but also learn from folks that are doing it every day. And you know, finding not necessarily the SVPs or VPs of the world, but finding those like two, three year, you know, graduates that are just got in, um, I can talk about things in the ground because they have their boots in the ground and kind of speak to the truth that, that you know, the, to the roles that they're working on. And um, it's been amazing. Like we've, 
you know, over four years, it's crazy to think about it. Um, we've traveled across the country. Um, we've programmed panels, uh, conferences. Um, and at the end of the day, the core has always been to connect and educate. Um, the reason being is because going back to my story, I had a unique story coming in. I didn't have a book to like help me, you know, teach me about the business. And I also didn't have anyone that worked in the business. So we always like to say like, you know, our community is here to support you through your career. And, um, Mm -hmm. and we always say this, and this is important. Like we're not going to give you the sauce, like to your, to your, to your problems or salute. We're going to give you a starting point. Like Mm -hmm. we're not saying like, you know, as an artist, you going to Digilog is we're going to guarantee you a viral hit, but we're going to give you best practices. We're going to give you the tools. And ultimately, you're going to be the chef to figure. Yeah, someone's watching a movie or playing a video game next door using my bandwidth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we good. Uh, we're back. 2020 pro- Wi-Fi problems. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Well, I think now that we're back, I mean, the one other big question we had too is in regards to... Um, I mean, networking during COVID is tough. Like, I think you did a fantastic job building a community. I think you've been pushing hard, doing a great job when it comes to adapting to focus on digital content rather than offline IRL events. Do you have any advice for people that are trying to network and build relationships in a time where meeting up with people in person is off the table? Yes. Um, don't, don't just promote yourself uh, initially. Cause I don't know if you, you know, I think best, best, best practices, like I got a lot of D, you know, DMS and, and, and messages, but it's not like, Hey, uh, check out my single. I don't know anything about you though. Um, and it's like anything it's like, and a lot of people know this, but if you really want to take the time to invest in someone's time and, and insight, you know, jump on a call with them for like 15, you know, 20 minutes, set up time with them. And, and I think for when it comes to just mentorship or just outreach, I think folks are always reaching out to like the top. Um, go to your peers, folks that are more accessible. Um, you know, someone, like I said, two or three years out of college, they're most likely going to have more time to like to respond. And I think it's understanding that you can't just skip steps. And uh, not to say like, I'm, I'm very, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So like for most part, like I'll respond but I think when it comes to the, the, the outreach, it depends on like, you know, if you really want to learn or like you want to take time, like for 15, 20 minutes, to ask genuine questions, I will. But I'm not here to like sign you to a label or, you know, teach you how to do, you know, things. Um, that's what the digital is for. Like we provide resources for you guys to like consume that content, like the podcast and all that stuff. So um, it's really just the, the expectations when you reach out and also understand that, you got to like really network horizontally, not just vertically. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's one of the most important things that I've learned um, in terms of networking in general, whether digital or physical is that your peers are going to be the ones that win with you. You know what I mean? They're going to be the ones that get the promotions that you, that you may need, or you may be get the promotions that they may need. Uh, and I think building that community horizontally, like you're saying is really important. Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. Um, and like I said, just take the time to get to know these folks. Um, you know, it's, there's no, you can't skip steps. Um, you know, we're on a Saturday, we're doing this, you know, right. <laughs> um, right. you know, it's because I love what you guys are doing. And I think it's one of those type of things we're building a relationship here. And, um, yeah. 
it's like how do we you know create that value exchange as well um because you know you're doing something for the community and that's i want to be able to support that so it's finding those like-minded folks that are just as passionate with you and kind of weeding out the folks that don't share those values right exactly exactly um awesome man well drew i just I, you know i just want to thank you for coming out um we look forward to this episode like you said we here on a saturday we were like bro if, we, he, if he could do a saturday we could do a saturday so <laughs> i'm glad glad that you uh virtually came out and, and spread some knowledge to the people um we'll definitely point people to your platform um and, and and make sure that you know hopefully if there's a chance for for us to collaborate in the future that we'll do so yeah ho- hopefully we could do something in in real life um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Absolutely. I appreciate you, Jordan. Appreciate you, Sam, for having me. Um, always, uh, like I said, I love what you guys are doing, and we're, we're here to support that as well. And you know, congratulations to all the episodes. Was it you said eighty episodes? It'll be eighty-one. Eighty-one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Eighty-one. Eighty-one. Uh, <laughs> and the road to hundred. So um, yeah. I, I love to see it. Thank you so perfect, much, man. Perfect. Thank we appreciate you. you, Drew. Take it easy, man. All right, thanks, guys. Man, well, that was a great episode. Drew, super smart guy. I personally really liked what he was talking about when it came to, like, seeding music across MCNs or, like, YouTube multi-channel networks. Right. I think that's really just crafty tactic for helping tap into existing communities to drive exposure for new music. Um, the, the nuance of which he spoke to running TikTok campaigns and trying to make sure it stays and feels organic so that way it helps you set it up in a way that it builds upon itself and creates a lot more mm-hmm. momentum. What you like, Jordan? Um, I think there were a couple of things that challenged my previous beliefs in, in marketing, which is always what I like, uh, primarily being, you know, he mentioned a little earlier that in the episode that uh, Spotify for a lot of people is their second point of contact. And I think, uh, you know, a good amount of our listeners, a good amount of people that I've spoken with um, use Spotify as their main driver, but he has a holistic viewpoint on how Spotify interacts with the rest of your marketing drivers, whether that's YouTube, whether that's Instagram, whether that's Twitter. And I think people will be able to get a really big picture, high level uh, strategy. Um, they'll be able to get, you know, high level uh, strategy tips on how to include Spotify as, as not just a huge marketing driver for you, but how to make it an integral piece of your puzzle while still focusing on other things. So, yeah. Well, there you have it. Uh, as always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Your support means the world. And you know we'll be where we will be next week. We'll be right here. So, <laughs> in your tuned. ears. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Appreciate y'all. Take care.